my name is Ian Rankin and I'm here to try and interview Mogwai and they are slowly joining my feed. Um, it's been a, a, a long hard week for the guys, they've been promoting the new album uh, ruthlessly, we might say, relentlessly and well because as I speak to you, guys, number one best-selling album in the UK? Mm -hmm. Unbelievably, yes. Yeah, it's wild. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, it's just I, I, saw so... an, I saw an interview recently with, um, uh, who was it? I, think, I forget who it was with now, and it described you as being mainstream underground. Is that a pretty good, I mean, how's that? I'm okay with that, but I, right. I have to be... I have to be honest, I mean, the rest of the band will probably uh, tell you this, but I'm a really optimistic person, probably to an annoying level. And uh, I, I wasn't prepared for this. It's so mental. <laughs> <laughs> You're just unrealistic. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. See, when Craig sent it to me, I was like, I was like, what is that? And I knew, I, I knew what it looked like, but I just presumed it was, I don't know, the... The Glasgow chart or something. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Which folks are. Uh, yeah. um, so, I mean, folks, folks watching us at home, um, a couple of hundred of them, uh, we've got Stuart Braithwaite uh, from the band, uh, guitars, vocals, got Barry Burns, uh, keyboards, guitar, uh, a wee bit of vocals occasionally. Uh, we've got Dominic Aitchison on bass down there in his garage, he tells me, although it looks right. like a wonderful book-lined library to me. I love it. <laughs> And then in his kitchen, uh, from his kitchen with his minimalist shelves behind the Martin Bullock drummer. <laughs> um, and this this um, uh, version of the band has been around for a long time now. Yeah, over um, 22 years. Yeah, I mean, that'd be about right. I think it's about 25 years since your first single came out. And I know, Barry, you joined shortly thereafter. So yeah, 20 odd years, man. How come you've not fallen out yet? Love each other so much. It's going to happen in the next hour, Ian. <laughs> Is it because, I wonder, maybe it's because Barry spends so much time in Germany. Uh, no, we, I... <laughs> yeah. We were all living in the same house until I moved away. So. Like a lot of people I watched, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of folk out there watching this, um, I watched your, your gig from the tramway to, to launch the album. And what I love is of the chat, you know, Dominic and Martin just giving it plenty chat with the audience would, would that be would that be fair to our, to our bass and drums unit here that's what we do power <laughs> machines just non-stop <laughs> so many anecdotes we need to get we need to get brendan back <laughs> oh man what was, it, what was it like filming that gig martin terrifying yeah well I, you know what we're, we're real rehearsed i suppose and we got a couple of goes each at doing the song, so that was all right. Was it, I mean, it looked like it was recorded almost as live, Dominic, was it? Or was there lots of gaps between the songs? Set up uh, yeah, the no, there, there was a definitely set up between each tune. I mean, we, we, we did mostly two attempts at doing every song. Some required more than two attempts, but... Uh, Whose, fault yeah, was that? Was, Whose fault was that, Dominic? Uh, I, I would say we're all equally, <laughs> equally to blame. No, it, it was quite nerve-wracking because we hadn't played in a while, and we're even though we rehearsed a lot, we we were quite out of practice, and it's the longest I think, the longest we've ever gone without actually touring, and so uh, 
Aye, it's quite weird. The, the muscle memory doesn't kick in. Mm. Like I'd, for, I'd forgotten how to play guitar standing up because <laughs> I hadn't played standing up because I always play sitting down in rehearsal. I'm so lazy and and uh, recording. And then as soon as we start, I just realised that I just felt really weird and like my wrist was really sore and I just realised I hadn't played the guitar standing up for over a year. So, I mean, take us, the, the, the gig started off with a nice wee bit of kind of documentary footage of the album being put together and the production, the way it was sort of produced and that. But, I mean, some people might be going, How, what was going on there? So maybe talk us through that a wee bit. Um, Barry, can I start with you? I mean, because this was an album that was, I, I guess, conceived and produced during the lockdown. Yeah. So we actually, I wouldn't say luckily, but it was... Uh, good that we had a lot of time to spend writing the album um, and I was pretty much going to my studio every day just doing a bit of work obviously with all the kindergartens shut in Berlin and everywhere else that uh, my, my wife and I had to sort of share time looking after our kids so you were much more precious with your time and economical with it to go and uh, do as much work as possible in, in a, such a short space of time as like you know three or four hours a day um, but it actually worked to our benefit and I was saying to someone the other day that it's kind of good that the album recording got pushed back a little bit because I don't think it would have been anywhere near as good um, if we'd recorded it when we were supposed to record it, which I think was April or something, was it? I'm not, I can't remember. Now, May. It was, a bit, was it May? Yeah. So I'm kind of, it's, it was kind of fortuitous that we got a bit more time to do uh, as much work as possible before we recorded it. You changed a few of the songs, didn't you, in that time? I did. I, like, there was a bit of re I think Stuart did the same. There's a bit of reworking done. When you get much more time to sit with a song than you normally would have, you can yeah. sort of see the faults in it and, and go back and, and fix them. So there was, a few, there was a few songs as well that we hadn't been planning to put on the record. And we had shared all of the demos amongst ourselves because we weren't together, but also with Dave Fredman. And there was a couple of the songs that ended up on the record that we had kind of forgotten about, really. And Dave kind of said he really liked them. And, and that was the other good thing about the uh, other good thing that in relation to this project, quite good thing about the circumstance last year that you literally had all the time in the world because you weren't allowed to go and do anything, you know. So kind of revisit a few songs as well. So as Barry said, yeah, the, the extra time was really handy. Did you have to discuss with, with Dave Fridman, your producer, you know, look, can we make this work? How do we make this work? Was it, was it your idea, his idea that you could still work together even with him in the States and you in Worcestershire, sure, sure. <laughs> I think he, he, want, he wanted to, I wasn't, I wasn't <clears throat> sure it was, it was possible, but I think, I think with technology, it clearly was possible, and we were we were all still happy to have Dave involved because we're all fond of him, and I think he's done a great job with other records we've we've done before. But it it like everything, like every, the whole planet's plans last year just got torn up, and with this record, everything seemed to just be changing almost by the day when things were happening how we were doing it and it, it kind of it never felt really certain until we got down to the studio in England and we were all setting up and playing that was like well right this is this is totally happening even even 
the travel and stuff we were all kind of stressing about just before we all went and everything was was was, was pretty uncertain and if you've seen the um the footage at the start of the documentary or even if you've got the special edition box set and you've seen the photographs in there there are pictures of you guys wearing masks in the recording studio now look i've got to ask that's just part for the cameras right martin no 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 oh martin you go <laughs> don't tell me you were wearing a mask or you were drumming you must have been puffing like hell man. i was doing it at the bbc the other day as well it's not fun ian brown was in the comments calling you all sorts <laughs> well that's that's part of the course uh, you get your vaccine <laughs> I mean, how, I mean talk us through a wee bit dominic you're in a studio in uh, in england you've got an engineer with you tony dugan yeah uh, and is, is he kind of liaison between you and the the actual producer dave who's in the states yeah pretty much uh, we had to we normally we would start like about 10 o'clock in the morning and just try and power what? through to about dinner time but no, we could do that because uh, we obviously of the time difference so we'd start about three in the afternoon and then Dave would come on uh, over Zoom and uh, I, he just gets the like a broadcast of uh, what we're doing live into his studio and uh, I was quite surprised by how seamless it was I thought this is going to be dreadful there's no way it's going to work and uh, I, it, it seemed to work fine mm -hmm. so uh, yeah, he's he's there giving you the same sort of direction or advice that you would uh, normally normally do, and uh, he was absolutely roasting Tony about drum sounds. So <laughs> Tony's having to spend about three hours on about trying to get the drums sounding the way Dave wants it. But uh, yeah. I, I, it, do you know what? It it worked. It, I think I think when you've got no choice but to go on it, you'll make it work, and it totally worked fine. So. Yeah. I mean, is it something you could consider in the future that you could save the planet by not flying everywhere and just, you know, make your album remotely? Yeah, I, don't, I think I mean, we could definitely do it again. No. Yeah, I don't think it was ideal, but it was definitely. I mean, it hasn't. Well, number one in the charts. Number one in the charts. <laughs> and if anybody out there, of course, you've already got the album. But if you're thinking about it, <laughs> a Christmas present for your granny, get her off the ceiling. And get a copy of this album. Get these young, impoverished Glaswegian men to number one. <laughs> number one until at least Friday. How lovely would that be? Uh, <laughs> it'd be nice. Unusual. It would be unusual. I mean, how does it feel to be an overnight success in 25 years? <laughs> You've been saving that up, haven't you? <laughs> people, ask, people ask me that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, we're getting old. This is a great time. Well, I, don't, I mean, what do you think it is? Because you know, I've been I've been coming to your gigs for a long time, and I've seen you go from filling the Queen's Hall in Edinburgh, which is probably what eight hundred to a thousand people, to comfortably filling the Hydro in Glasgow, which is considerably more people. I mean, you've had that, you've climbed that ladder uh, by degrees, and it's been fascinating to watch it. What what is the? I mean, what has happened? Are people just latching onto the fact you've always been good? Um, is there, is there a kind of audience who's suddenly going, oh, that's the kind of music I want to listen to? Have you changed the kind of music you think you make? What is it? Uh, let's let's go. Let's go with Stuart. I I don't think we've changed the music that we make. I think I think I think in Scotland, people's attitude towards us has changed a lot. I think for the first few years of the band, people thought we were total chances, you know. <laughs> and I think it's got to the point where a lot of people have kind of grown up with us, and 
people's attitude towards us has really changed and that's that's been really noticeable in other places i think it's just maybe the fact that new people find out about our music you know i think that people that like our music are, are, are really loyal and, and then new people find out about it you always can see people of a lot of different ages and stuff at our shows so is it, yeah. is it, I mean, could it be that in some ways, I mean, maybe a small way, but Barry, do you think maybe the fact that you're doing a lot of soundtrack work now has brought you a, a wider audience? It might have done. I mean, it's a, a few of those things have done quite well. And you can always see on Twitter and stuff that people are asking about us from the soundtracks that we've done. So there's probably a bit of interest in our sort of, you know, non-extracurricular or curricular work as well <laughs> but, uh, yes i don't know i'm hoping uh yeah pretty much because i mean i think this the the, the the your latest soundtrack i guess is zero 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 which is um a big hit at the moment on is it netflix i think um and uh, yeah, I just, there's an ex, there's an expansive there's an expansiveness to some of the soundtrack work um and i mean the early albums could be heavy and they could be quite claustrophobic you know they were really intense and I think there has been a kind of, I'm not going to say you're mellowing in your old age, but there has been an opening out, a kind of, the soundscape seems to me to be, have got more expansive. And I just wondered if some, if that might be something to do with the soundtracks. Maybe. It might be. I think um, we'd been wanting to do soundtracks for quite a long time. So it was kind of, seemed, seemed to kind of make sense. It's kind of... It's a weird thing to be a musician and put yourself in a position where people can tell you what to do when you've been kind of fighting your whole life to avoid that. But um, it's is, it is, good, it's quite challenging, definitely. I think the first one you did was Zidane, wasn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was already left us alone. We could do whatever we wanted with that. <laughs> it, it gave us quite a, an incorrect uh, experience of what making a soundtrack was actually like. We thought this is fine. This is no problem. It's just like making an album, and then the next one, like, holy shit. <laughs> You've actually got to do what people tell you. And for those who don't this know, is the worst. basically a 90-minute film about Zidane running around the football pitch. Uh, Pretty yeah. much, yeah. It's about yeah. 85 minutes, because he gets sent off, doesn't he, towards the end? Aye. Uh, uh, Thank God he didn't play extra time. No. <laughs> We'd run out of music. <laughs> It's, it's one of the most extraordinary sports films I've ever seen. I saw it in a cinema. I think you guys were there. It was the uh, the Edinburgh launch of it, I think. And um, it was just, even for someone who doesn't, you know, know much about football, hundreds of cameras all trained on this one guy. Every every movie makes. Nobody else in the field is shown at all, I don't think. Um, it's just yeah. all in Zidane. And then there's this music playing constantly. It's, it's in it. It's quite an immersive event and fascinating. Um, it, it told me quite a lot about the guy. It told me quite a mm -hmm. lot about him. Is that Bampo? Did you get to meet him? To meet <laughs> no, him? no, no, no. We, we were we were to meant him. to, but it was it was the World Cup, wasn't it? It, it? He was meant to go to the big. Me and Martin went over to like a big fancy showing of it at Art Basel. I think we got we get paid to DJ and we played about three records. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Money, money per record worked out quite well, but he was meant to go to that. Did some guy not go in his place that was like some famous athlete, but I didn't know who he was, Martin. Do you yeah. mind that guy? I remember meeting all the Real Madrid glitterati and stuff like that, but no. Yeah. Wait, so they sent a stand-in for Zidane, I thought? Well, he, he went to represent him. I think he's one of his really good friends, like a really 
famous. <laughs> imagine, uh, imagine we did that. Just like, well, we can't make the gig tonight, so my pal James is going to play my keyboard parts. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's tight. <laughs> Listen, let's get let's get back to the new album. Um, it's it's a it's a hugely enjoyable album. It's very I mean, it's very coherent and all the rest of it. Um, it's it's got your usual to me. I mean, as a as a guy who lives for words. The first thing I do is look at the titles of the songs and go, why the hell is that called that? <laughs> so could you maybe help a, a poor wordsmith out here with some of them? I mean, Ceiling, oh, Granny, Ceiling Granny, give me it. Oh, Exorcist yeah. Have you ever seen The Exorcist 3? I don't think, I think I gave up on The Exorcist after 2. It's right. rubbish, that's why. 3 is good. No, 3 is no rubbish, 3 is good. No, 2 is rubbish. Yeah, right. yeah, I thought you were just it. I thought I was going to have to go mental there. No, I don't go, don't go mental. I love the ceiling what? granny as much as you do. <laughs> By the way, can I, just, can I just point out that Exorcist 2 is a rubbish film, but Ennio Morricone's score oh, it's is amazing. one of the best ah. things of all time. Yeah. It sounds like being re-released, I think, at the moment. It's just coming it has, out. Yeah, coloured vinyl. Uh, it sounds like Slayer playing the Muppets or something like that. It's absolutely <laughs> mental. But yeah, in, in the Exorcist 3, this... Total spoiler here, but the scariest. In fact, it's not a spoiler because you'll be so worried about it happening, you'll it'll increase your enjoyment. But he's <laughs> he's he's in a he's in a psychiatric hospital, and he thinks everything's all right, but it's not all right because there's a because <laughs> there's there's an old lady climbing climbing along the ceiling, and we were we were watching it, we were watching it in the studio, and then every time anyone went to the toilet, they'd be like, oh, "Have I missed the ceiling, Granny? Have I missed the ceiling, Granny?" <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's the kind of level of intellect that goes into our song titles. We pretty much wrote it down and used it. Yeah, I would. I would love to read something deeply philosophical in all this. That what you're saying is that song titles are a nonsense, um, and you can call a song anything. It's not that, that you're going to drum up a certain atmosphere with the title you give to the track. We almost had a song called Taxi Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> so we did. <laughs> Uh, just just got chucked out at the last moment, didn't it? Taxi <laughs> jazz. <laughs> what about what about this opening track here? To the I've got the here's the album for those who've not seen it yet. Everybody's seen it. To the oh, you'll, you'll like this, this, night we you, vacate Earth. This you will you you will like this. This actually has some substance to it, and it involves someone you know. You know Ben Power. Uh, Blank Mass. Yes. Yeah. He he talks in his sleep. And he started. I know that, and I want to know how you know that. He tells me about it, and he started recording all the things. And the actual voice at the start of the album is Ben saying that in his sleep, in a weird Shakespearean voice that he doesn't speak in normally. And uh, another thing he said in his sleep was uh, Ian Brady the musical and uh, Shipman on Ice. <laughs> <laughs> We've bookmarked that one for another song as well. Yeah, that's a split single. Come to life. <laughs> so it's, it's like a really dark think, funky tennis. I think I'm right in saying the last gig I saw before the lockdown was, was Blank Mass uh, in Edinburgh. Uh, I think it was sort of early March last year. He'll put me right on Summer that. Hall. Yeah, Summer Hall. Yeah. And he was supported by two drag artists one of whom jumped off the six foot high stage and did the splits on the floor, which was an extraordinary moment in, in my musical education. Um, ben, ben is a big drag race fan. Uh -huh. He's drag culture, yeah. <laughs> so I was slightly sad when the, when the gig started at the tramway not to see him walk onto the stage and actually do his wee bit. 
<laughs> he was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> he, found out classics. Was, he found out there was no rider. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, harsh. All right. That's pretty brutal. That is, I'm, that only is teasing. Brutal. I'm only teasing. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I I don't know. Do you do you guys, Martin? Here's a question for you. Do you guys live to make albums or do you live to, to play gigs? What's your preference? I think I like the gigging part of it more. I find um, recording really stressful. But I know Barry and Stuart like. Well, maybe not. Stuart. No, I like I like gigs. Barry better. Like recording, don't you? No, I prefer the gigs as well. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I, I think it's maybe different with a soundtrack. I quite I quite enjoy the stress of the soundtrack stuff. Eventually, it's really stressful, and it really but it, it seems to get me writing stuff. So uh, I suppose it's all for the greater good. But I much prefer to to play shows than uh, than be in a studio. Well, I mean, that, but you see that 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 flags up the fact this must have been a really hard year for you then, with no live gigs at all. We kind of taken the year out anyway to the record, and we'd had a year out before that as well, just because we'd been hammering it live quite a lot. So, I mean, this will be the longest we've ever done, isn't it? Without a yeah. proper show. When we start touring again, we'll be totally shite. <laughs> <laughs> That's your headline. Just getting the buzz there. Get the buzz going. Have they given you any dates in mind for when you might start a tour? We got we got an offer for a gig in August. Um, but I I, I can I, I think as as soon as we're allowed, we'll do something. Mm. We'd we'd actually we'd been planning to we'd had a a, a run of shows in the Highlands and Islands. Which were yep. one of the first things we had to cancel, and it'd be great to go back and do them as soon as. Yeah, it's Strath, I, yeah I've got I've got a place near Strathpeffer. They were very much looking forward to you up there. Yeah, no, it would have been great. So I'd love I'd love to do that. I'd imagine we'll probably be able to do th that kind of thing, and maybe some the festival start late summer. Who knows? It's kind of it's, it's the same with everything. It's just wait and see, though. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know some sort of um, promoters are thinking it will be the summer at the earliest, and they're just hopeful that by then. I mean, they're looking at the things like you know, um, a pat, you know, a vaccine passport that will get you through the door, that kind of thing, uh, whatever it takes to actually get a live audience back again without the horror of social distancing. Yeah, it's weird. I did go to. I went to see Free Love play the socially distanced gig in Glasgow last summer. Which was it was great just to see people on a stage playing music, but it was pretty weird. It's kind of picnic tables about 10, 10 feet apart, and only two people at a table, and it was it was a great and I'm, I, I, it was brilliant just to see people play. But it definitely you kind of really miss just tons of folk inside a room watching people, you know. Barry, talk us through some of the guests on this album. You've got some intriguing wee guest appearances. Uh -huh. Yeah, so um, Colin Stetson, who I think we all discovered through watching Hereditary, uh, the, the terrifying film that the band made me watch, uh, <laughs> and his, his soundtrack. Well, and I think, I, I guess, maybe Stuart knew him 
somehow I don't know. But anyway, we asked him to do something on um, Pat Stain's series song titles seriously still, and uh, and because we'd worked with um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross on the Before the Flood soundtrack, still had his email address, so bugged him when we sort of we were kind of halfway through the song recording, I think I can't remember, but it just needed something else. And I thought it might be a good shout to give him an email and see if he would be interested to to do something. And he was really up for it. Like he worked super. I think he was actually working on that film music for uh, that Soul, that Disney film at the same time, because he was talking about this other film that he was doing. And so he took some time out of that uh, to help us out with um, Midnight Flip. So, wow. yeah. I think Contacts. I know Colin Stetson. <laughs> I, I, I think for, I first came across him when he was working with Tom Waits. Yeah, yeah. He's done yeah, a couple of Tom yeah. Waits albums, and then of course it yeah. was worth Arc- Arcade Fire. Yeah, I think that's how, that's how I I heard of him through that, and then the horror film. But, yeah. And tell me about tell me about the fifth member of the band who I saw at the tramway playing keyboards and guitar. Well, Alex. Yeah. Yeah, Alex is great. He doesn't record with us. He just tours with us. But yeah, he's um. He's really, really, really good. He is uh, disgustingly young, but there's he nothing really young about that. Really... He, he told us something horrific, like, uh, I think he was two when Young Team came out. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he told us that we were on tour on the bus and just told silence when he said it. <laughs> <laughs> we were crushed. <laughs> <laughs> two. I know. It's, it's shocking, right. isn't it? <laughs> I know. I mean, the 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 the. I meant to ask you this: Is the concert film, the tramway film? Do you think we'll see it in any other way, shape, or form in the future? I mean, was it probably? Probably, because people did ask about it. The the footage at the start is part of a a filming that we've been doing towards some kind of documentary that was meant to be based around the twenty fifth anniversary of the band. And Anthony, who made it and made the tramway film, was going to come up to the Highlands with us and all that stuff. And obviously all those plans, like everything, got torn up. But he's still got all that stuff for the film. So if there was a DVD of the documentary, mm. it would make sense to put the, the gig on it as well. So I'd like I'd like that to happen. And let's say Anthony did a great job. He'd never done anything like that, like editing a, a concert film together. So he was kind of like... I think it was a pretty intense experience for him, but um, yeah, he definitely pulled out the bag. I mean, I think, you know, given the restrictions, given the fact that you were shooting it in an empty, basically an empty hall and everything, I think he did an amazing job. Oh, I mean, I don't know how many cameras he had at his disposal. There's one one of my favourite shot, shots, actually, is when uh, uh, Martin, I think the, the, the camera starts off really right in front of your face and then draws back over your drums and just keeps on going. It's a phenomenal shot. Yeah, he's done a good job. And he's actually, I know he's interviewed a lot of folk for your documentary because he interviewed me. I don't know if that's come as a surprise to you or not. No, I knew about that. He, he loved your interview. Did you not say something about Douglas Gordon's tattoo or something? He was really yeah. taken by a quote that you said that Douglas has a tattoo of. Uh, Douglas has got a lot of tattoos. Um, <laughs> mostly. I've not seen all of them by any stretch of the imagination. I um, have. 
For those who don't know, Douglas Gordon, the artist, Glaswegian, uh, went to Glasgow School of Art, also directed or co-directed Zidane, the film that Mogwai did their first soundtrack work for. Um, he's got a lot of quotes on his body from uh, a book called Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner. He's completely obsessed with that book and the guy who wrote it, James Hogg. So, so yeah, there's probably something to do with that, about the, the Caledonian anti-syzygy, which is the kind of being where extremes meet, being Jekyll and Hyde and the same person. It's a very Scottish thing in a lot of Scottish literature, and maybe I was saying that I also feel it in your music. How's about that? That's as BBC Two as we're going to get tonight, folks. <laughs> Don't worry, the no gags are coming. <laughs> um, Richie Sacramento. How did that title come about? That came from our pals being told grasses and uh, telling us that their boss had said that instead of Ryuchi Sakamoto yeah. in a record is shop. Is it not? Now, John Robin in an interview alludes to the fact that there's some kind of story to do with uh, the Silver Jews. Yeah, well, that, that started... Um, I'm really generally pretty unprepared and that song was always going to have lyrics, but I hadn't written them. And I saw this um, Facebook post that Bob from Pavement put about his friend Dave Berman. I think it was on Dave's birthday, like the year after he died. And he was telling this story about um, when they were students and Dave chucking a, a shovel at a sports car. And that's the, the first line of the song is what Dave said, as remembered by Bob, rise crystal spear as he threw it. And uh, I just thought that was really poetic. And Dave Berman was a poet um, and uh, an amazing songwriter, amazing musician and good, good guy. Didn't know him very well, but enjoyed his company anytime I did. And yeah, so I kind of used that as a starting point for the, the lyrics of the song. Cool. I mean, Rise Crystal Sphere, nothing like a spear. What's that? Did you say Crystal Sphere or Spear? Oh, spear, spear. Ah, okay. I, I heard that it's sphere, and I'm going, no, that's nothing like that. Okay. That's deep, I am, deep. by the way, the world's... I'm glad you guys don't have much in the way of lyrics in your songs, because I <laughs> am a terrorist <laughs> what are called Mondegreens. Mondegreens, uh, for the listeners at home, are misheard lyrics. Oh. oh Barry's oh, wife yeah. is pretty good at these as well. Yeah, my wife's got some I, I, I love your style. <laughs> let me take you to the kitchen. Let you show you <laughs> Lolly, Lolly. Um, Paint your bag brighter. Yep. So, uh, well, I kissed this guy. Um, somebody put together a whole book of these. And I thought, oh, hey, good. you could do that. You could do that. A book of money. Um, you know, I, 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 oft, I always wondered, because um, quite often when we've got to play a gig, I can't remember the lyrics of the one song I've usually got to sing every night. And I'll go and look at the lyrics on the internet. And there's always a bit that's wrong. And I always thought... <laughs> I always thought it was because people didn't know it, but apparently these internet lyric sites, they always have a bit wrong so they don't have to pay any copyright. Oh, smart. Uh, I'll, I'll give a little secret. When they made dictionaries, dictionaries always had one fake uh, description in a dictionary so that if somebody bootlegged a dictionary, you could prove it. Uh, really? I think good. I've heard that, but yeah, I think that's a Reddit thing. I've heard that before. Yeah. yeah. Weird. Somebody, somebody, I'm, I apologize. Somebody says, I've lost all sound, just a script at the top of the page saying Dominic is talking. No, that must be fake. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, I've got, um, listen, I've got, here's a question for you. <laughs> Hang on, let me see if this is, who's this question from? It's a good one. Uh, oh, I can't see who it's from there. Trey, I think, Trey. Uh, there's a lot of interest surrounding vinyl reissues and sets. Will Rock Action Happy Songs see reissues? Also, is there a chance of a better US merch store? Would love some teas and such official from the band. So there you go. Any vinyl reissues and sets in the works? Rock actions one that we've been planning for a long time, um, but it's it's quite um, it's quite complicated. There's a there's it's not just like three extra tracks. It's almost like we'd have to compile another album. And we've also we also recorded every gig from that tour, so we've got like mm -hmm. boxes of dats. So if we were to do it properly, we'd have to like really immerse ourselves in it. But I think we do want to do it. I, I, I'm guessing it would probably be early next year now, but we would do it. Happy songs. I don't know if there's that much extra stuff, is there? Maybe a couple of songs. Uh, not that I can think of, no. There's the gig we did for Peel the night that Celtic lost the UEFA Cup final. <laughs> we could put that on it. But yeah. So you're yeah. Not, you're not going to forget that one, are you, buddy? No. Nah. This <laughs> leads to another question. Stephen Tate says, Lads, new album is fantastic. Congratulations. Who should be the next Celtic manager? I'll do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> see, I, I've, got a, I've got a very soft spot for Neil Lennon because very early on in his career as Celtic manager, he was photographed at Glasgow Airport arriving from Northern Ireland carrying my latest book. Oh. I mean, I've, I've met him. He's, he's a good guy, but he's, he's struggling. He's yeah. struggling and it doesn't seem to be going well. He'd probably be happier doing something else, I think. But there you go. All right. <laughs> somebody, else, somebody else is asking. I mean, this, this, is, this is a kind of like the wrap-up question, but it's not a wrap-up question. I'm going to ask it because I like it. Um, you know, for what, each of you, can you give us your favourite Scottish song or band or album? Just off the top of your heads. You can always regret it later. Barry. Anything. Uh, the Yummy Fur is my favourite band. How about that? Was it? Was it? Oh, yeah, that's my favourite band from Scotland. That will do. That will do. Dominic. Uh, Strings and Things by the Corries is an underrated album as a belter record. Yeah, my sister was a huge. When I was a wee kid, she was a huge. She was in the Corries fan club and everything, and she had Corries yeah. Live, which are these rude jokes in between. Uh, yeah, I just thought yeah. it was fantastic. Yeah, no, I did it. Really underrated. Uh, Band, I don't know if you can call my band, but yeah, I've, yeah, I've always been, I've always been fond of the Corries. So, Good. right, Martin, you've had, Martin, you've had lots of time to think about this, buddy. Terrible at these, um, probably some more <laughs> sharp, I suppose. Probably my favourite Scottish band. Sorry, I missed that. Who's that? Arab Strap. Arab Strap. Oh, okay. Maybe. We've got a new album coming out, I believe. Oh, on rock action, no less. Hey, any connection to you guys? We're their bosses. <laughs> Finally, we're playing. We're, we're all of us here are playing second fiddle tonight to um, a gig at the social that Stuart just did where he was DJing for an hour from six o'clock till seven o'clock. So Stuart, you must have a few at the back of your mind. Favorite Scottish band, album, or track? Actually, I, I did a. I did a. I've been doing a radio show in Australia, and I did a show just with just Scottish bands and. I think Arab Strap and Yummy Fur would, would be up there, but I'm, I'm going to go with the Mary Chain, actually. I think um, as much as how much they meant to me, but just also as 
an influence as well over so much music that, that I really love from the Valentines to Spaceman 3 and everything. So yeah, Psycho Candy, Jason Mary Chain. Yeah, it's great. Great album. Um, all right, I've got a question from Andrew Gregory here. I like this one as well. How did you get the opportunity to compose the music to the series 000? And how much of the story did you know before you started? I mean, so in general, when is a soundtrack work to be had, how much, I mean, I'm guessing you actually worked from the, from the, 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 the film the footage, but maybe not. I mean, take, Barry, do you want to start on that and anybody can jump in? Yeah, it, it depends on, on who's making it. Like, we, sometimes we have very little and sometimes we have quite a lot to work with. It's just, and the ones that you don't have a lot of, um, you know, images to work with, you've just got to sort of make a big palette of, of like loads of different sound, loads of different songs that would fit with certain things. And then you, once they start to sort of edit it, you can work out what's going to work and what isn't. And other ones, I'm trying to think the ones that we had lots of images for before. Um, La Revenant. Yeah. So yeah, we had. Oh, did what, we? Nearly... I thought we start. I thought we started recording the Revenant before they'd even start filming. Oh um, right. Oh yeah. I mean, still <laughs> images. Yeah, they hadn't made anything. They just gave us the script and loads of photos and everything. Yeah. The interesting so... thing about that was they were showing. No, they were playing the music while the, the actors were doing the takes to get the mood. Were they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then, say, all, this was all happening in French. Yeah, to, to answer the thing about how we got involved with 000, Stefano, the director, just asked us, he came to a gig we were playing in Mexico City while they were, they were filming the show and just charmed us, asked us. And yeah, we were like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Let's do it. I'm assuming, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's something you enjoy doing or you wouldn't say yes to doing soundtracks. Yeah, no, it's, it's, good. Really, it's good fun, actually. It's it's, it's a completely different way of working with you because you've got this other voice in your head all the time, you know, telling you or trying to explain to you things that they might not be musicians themselves, but they're trying to explain what they need from you. So there's a, a bit of a dialogue about it. But um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. When you, Once it's finished, there's a, a really big sense of achievement from it. What were you going to say, Dom? Uh, I was going to say pretty much the same as you. But uh, I think one of the other things that's quite different about it is uh, usually when you're recording your own records you're thinking about what else to add to a tune and when you're doing the uh, soundtrack stuff it's all about uh, just stripping everything right back and just keeping it really minimal because uh, it's it's always quite striking how busy things can sound really quickly and how inappropriate it is so you always end up having to do less than you you probably would instinctively want to do. I've got a question here from Steve Kirk, uh, who says you've made some comments about the working process and sitting with the songs for longer this time round. How much of the album was complete before you entered the studio? Mm. Remember? Almost everything. We were pretty together. I mean, maybe parts here or there, like, but definitely most of the band could play the song, every song from start to finish. There might be like keyboard or guitar parts, but the main instrument and the drums and the bass was all sorted out before we went, I think, wasn't it? Pretty much. <laughs> no, you. I mean, you pretty much had a good idea of what you were. Mm. I remember writing a couple of parts in the studio, but I, I think I was pretty much done. Uh, if, 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 if that wasn't the case then, Dominic, you totally winged it. Well done. Yeah, <laughs> we, you fooled us. Well, bro, what can I say? 
It's that poker face that Dominic's got. Uh, no, uh, Tony told me pretty much what to do through the whole thing, so that definitely helped. <laughs> Go and do that. Do this. <laughs> I've got some some praise here for Martin. Uh, Guys, should Martin get some praise here? Bye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Um, Just somebody saying here, the drums, I I think they're talking about the fact that it took a while to get the drums set up uh, for the producer to get the drums, the engineer to get the drums set up. The drums sound really hard, like old school hip hop on the album, so it was well worth it. (laughs) Nice one. (laughs) I'll take it. Um, yeah, this is something, uh, Christopher Doyle's asking something that I was going to ask you anyway, because uh, after you've got the run through of the album on, the, on the, the tramway gig, we get the whole album. Very generous length of album, by the way, guys. It's over an hour long, so thanks very much for that. Um, but at the end, we get a couple of encores, uh, as it were. We get Like Herod, which still makes the hair stand up on the back of my, my head. Every, you feel, every time you trick me, every single time I go, I'll just turn it out and be quiet. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly your trousers are flapping. Um, but this somebody's saying here, uh, Christopher Doyle saying, what encouraged you to bring back How to Be a Werewolf? Because um, you played it at Marianne Hobbs as well, and you played it at the tramway gig. Um, is it off hardcore? It's off hardcore, isn't it? Yeah. So why why that? Because you only had two songs in the encore at the tramway. Why why did you choose Werewolf? It's my wee girl's favourite song. Martin, it's your wee girl's favourite song. Yeah. She well, also named the songs, album. I like it as well. Yeah. She also named the album. Yeah, she named the oh, album. The new album. Yeah, mm. she did. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the love continues. Aye. Not I mean, bad for a seven-year-old, is it? We're not reading. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not reading too much into it when I say it's like it's almost like a response to the whole year we've had. Yeah. <laughs> all all the crap we've been going through. You know what's left at the end is love, really. Oh, it's been, a, it's been a real shite year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't call the album that, though, can we? <laughs> it wasn't until the uh, album came along, obviously. I know, everyone's brilliant now, but before that, it was really crap. <laughs> I actually heard a, a, a Half Man, Half Biscuit song called National Shite Day earlier on. <laughs> it's pretty brilliant. I'm looking, for, I'm, I'm looking for a question here. I love Half Man, Half Biscuit. I'm looking for a question here uh, for, for, for our, our esteemed bassist. But instead, I found another one for Martin. Good Lord, Martin. Uh, being a drummer myself, says Max, I, almost, I always was a big fan of your playing. So concise and to the point, full of restraint and yet very melodic. I, I think there's a question here somewhere. Hang on, let me just scroll down. It's a bit Jim White, isn't it? Like, Did you write this yourself, Martin? Did you write this yourself? Uh, <laughs> the process for you to build dr- drum track is it always about serving the song first in a way you remind me of Nick Mason uh, Pink Floyd not in playing but tasteful tasteful hard to replicate and essential to the whole sound of the band Martin Bullock ladies and gentlemen <laughs> <laughs> I can see his face going redder <laughs> he writes all the parts <laughs> What? I just, I just play them, Barry likes them all. I go, I really, that's not true at all. <laughs> take the take the uh, compliments, take the props. There you go. I don't know what you're going to say, but... I've never seen him speak, well, I've seen him speechless before, but that's... <laughs> on, on so little drink, I've never seen him speechless before. <laughs> 
another question. What comes first with those songs that have got vocals? Um, maybe one for you, Stuart, but also Barry, you do a wee bit of vocals on the on, on, on the tramway gig as well. Uh, what comes first with those songs that have got vocals? Um, is it in your mind that the song will have vocals from early on writing it, or does it come laterally after most of the music is written? The, the words are almost always the last thing with all the songs we've had with singing, all the, the words are, are last, but I think it quite early, it becomes apparent quite early that the song has that kind of structure or feel. If, if something's got loads of like a big piano or keyboard melody or a big guitar riff, then there's not really a lot of space for vocals. So it's a lot to do with the kind of space in the music. Um, the, the vocoders that you use on the tramway gig, I mean, they don't they don't need the wee rubber tube anymore. I'm really sad. No, that's a, I've never had a shot of one of them. It's a, uh, it's a voice box, it's called, or something like that. Oh, yeah, they're yeah. one of those. Yeah. Um, but we've never had one. It's an old, there was an old one that we, we used for Hunted by a Freak and stuff like that. And this one's a new sort of software one. And it just sounds great. But those, when writing those songs, the lyrics don't, they're, they're, there's no lyrics, basically. It's just me blabbering rubbish into a microphone, but they always come quite early on in the writing process because I've probably decided to use the vocoder as one of the main things. And it, um, and it changes every night when we play live. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, a bit, like, a bit like scat singing, a bit like jazz. Yeah, it, it, it can be quite profane. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you going to talk about the, the show you did? Oh, very quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's got a dry signal and a wet signal, and obviously it's always on wet signal because I don't want anyone to hear what I'm singing about. And I think we were in Australia or something. I forgot to turn it around to wet um, and started slagging off all the people in the front row, like just really having a go at them. And I could see everyone looking at me like, you need to stop that kind of thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, whoops. <laughs> so, but that was the first, actually was the first and only time I was having a go at people in the crowd. I've never done that since, right. I promise. Man. <laughs> I, I, some of, I've never asked you, I mean, I've, I've interviewed some of you before um, and I've met you several times before. Um, but I mean, you know, how did you, how did you get together? I mean, Barry, I know you were slightly after the the rest of the guys here, the, the band formed. But was it was it the ad in the music press? Was it a note pinned up at us in a bar in Glasgow going bassist wanted for band? How did you get together? Well, me and Dominic <clears throat> um, knew each other a wee bit through a mutual friend, and we'd played a few gigs together with our old bands before Mogwai, and uh, the bands were. We weren't really going anywhere. Our drummer moved to Australia. Don't know what happened with your band, Dominic. It just kind of fizzled out about it, didn't it? Yeah, it was, it was pretty much a school band. So as soon as we all went to college and stuff like that, it just stopped. And we, probably, probably for the best. And we, and we, we, liked, we liked a lot of the same music, like Sonic Youth and Fugazi and that kind of thing. And we just decided to start a band pretty much, wasn't it? Yeah, we didn't we didn't have a drummer for a wee while, and then I'd known Martin through school pals, and uh, just asked Martin to come and play with us one day, and that sounded good. So we we just never stopped, and then um, John joined a few months later. Obviously, John left a few years ago, but um, Barry, we met Barry when we were recording Mogwai Young Team. He worked in the studio. I don't I know, did you work there? there? Just hanging no, about? I was just rehearsing there with um, right, right, right. Eddie and, and AI. And Barry 
we got on really well, but also Barry can play loads of stuff, and we got him in to do some keys. And do you play flute? On no, a no, no, I didn't actually. Which used is to that? come and play flute at the gigs. Yeah, yeah. First thing Barry did when I met him was we a, a piano set up in the live room when we were recording Young Team. <laughs> Note perfectly played um, the riff for Light My Fire. He's going, shite. This guy, I like this guy. I mean, was, was that, you know, I mean, yeah, you're right, because I mean, the early singles and that, the, the kind of stuff collected on 10 Rapid, I mean, it's, it's, it's guitar driven, there's no doubt about it. Um, so it was a conscious decision then to sort of broaden things by bringing keyboards in. Yeah, I mean, we'd, we'd play the odd bit of keyboard, but like we were literally like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, honestly, I think I remember one of the keyboards had like tape on it to tell you what note it was and all that. One of the ones that I was using. Oh, like, we we'd, we'd a Bon Tempe that had yeah, the tape on right. it. Right? It had like gaffer tape on it to, so you know where to press it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we had to tune to the Bon Tempe as well because it wasn't the Aye, tune. That's uh, right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Tuning. Yeah. <laughs> plenty, plenty of great pop songs being written that way. Aye. Again, very early on, I mean, to go back before Young Team, you know, you must have made that decision, look, we're just going to be an instrumental band. We're not going to have a, a vocalist at the front of the band. Well, we can, at the start, we had about half and half. And I think... I think we just realised that the ones without singing were a lot better. I mean, I mean, I was only nineteen. I didn't really have anything to sing about, and I was quite bad at singing. I wanted to. I, wanted, I also wanted to play really, really loud, and I can't sing very loud. I mean, it's a problem I still have <laughs> gigs now, but at least now we've got tons of PA's or whatever. So it 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 just kind of made sense to do more of that. There was also. We were also getting into bands like Tortoise, so it kind of like seemed a good a, a, a good idea rather yeah. than just a bad one. Uh, <laughs> you were compared in the early days, I guess you were compared to bands like Slint <laughs> and maybe Godspeed You Black Emperor, who didn't go heavy on the lyrics. So part part yeah. of that continuum, I suppose. Yeah, there was there was we were get we were getting into a lot of, a lot of music that didn't have a lot of lyrics and I I mean I'm not I'm not the, I'm not I'm not the greatest singer in the world so I was kind of quite glad to not have to do it that much. Yeah, but on this new album you do do some naked singing. You do some singing without the vocoder. You were yeah. naked. <laughs> and you're all, you're all right, buddy. You're all right. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm all right. I'm all right, but it's not it's not a uh, it's not. It's not my main thing. <laughs> right, I've got. I've got a question here from somebody watching. Uh, from the top of your head, what's your the favourite gig you've ever played? Not necessarily the best gig you've ever played, but your favourite gig. I'm going to put that to you in a second, but I'll tell you my two favourite Mogwai gigs very quickly. One was I saw you at the Queen's Hall um, a, a fair number of years ago, and I was excited. I don't think I'd ever seen you live before, and I was at the front. And after a couple of songs, I thought, "Oh, this is a wee bit loud," and I started moving back. And by the end of the gig, I was upstairs at the back, pressed against the wall, <laughs> um, with, with, with dust from the ceiling falling yeah. around my head. And I, I felt the whole building was actually levitating. It was so loud. Yeah, sorry <laughs> about that. We, 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 we're still quite loud, but back then we were just 
it was just spell out of there. Maybe yeah. but, but fast forward a few years and you were doing a charity uh, gig at the um the assembly rooms in Edinburgh and it, I think it was who was it set up? I think it was James Yorkston set up this charity event and it, so it was James Yorkston being like an eight five folky. Um he'll kick me for saying that. But it was mostly kind of singer songwriters with acoustic guitars the first half. And I was out there watching and going, this is really good. And I looked at the side of the stage and just saw th this PA system that seemed to go up to the heavens. And I thought, well, none of them are using that. What's, what's going on? And the second half out came Mogwai and dear God. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, the folk in the Shetland jumpers didn't know what had hit them. I remember that. I, re I remember that. That was a, that was, it was a, that was a charity thing in memory of this guy, Doogie, that used to play with James. Lovely, right. lovely guy. Died, died too young of cancer, lovely person. And there was all, it was it was a kind of who's who of the kind of Scottish folk scene, wasn't it? And I remember yep. we met some really legendary singer who I can't remember. And I, I think she looked quite distraught at our music after like when we went on, because I- uh, Anyway, right, so favorite, favorite gigs you've done. Let's start with Dominic. Dominic. Uh, we, one of our earliest gigs in London was Support Pavement at the Astoria. We were first on in a four-band bill, and uh, I, I mean, I just absolutely loved Pavement, so it was, it was a big deal to play with them and meet them, and uh, I'm just excited. It was the biggest show we'd ever done by that point, and it was uh, like we'd maybe played to 100 people at the most, 150, and then to play the story, it was, I mean, we were properly terrified, I think, but uh, we, we played really fast, I remember that as well, we'd like a <laughs> half an hour slot, and we were pretty much done after 20 minutes. <laughs> Absolutely rattled right through it, but uh, that was great, that was a really I, strong I, I was, I'm assuming you got to meet Pavement back, backstage and they were fine? We did, they were lovely, they were lovely, we, we must have been a total pain in the arse as well, because we, <laughs> well, we were steaming and still very young, and uh, we must, I think we totally pestered them with loads of I mean, I always ask them about really uh, B sides and stuff like that. It's just it was a I, it makes my eyeballs sweat when I think about it. When I, oh. But yeah, it was great. It was a good night. <laughs> Martin, Martin, what about you? Um, it's a few, three that really stand out. Um, Albert Hall in London was incredible. Well, that was it. Just being in that place kind of made it a bit. You know, I don't really remember much of the gig. It was just the whole, the whole day. It was just amazing. And similarly, um, oh Jesus, what was that again? Very memorable, memorable gig. I forgot. <laughs> um, think of another one then. Just think of another one. No, but the, 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 my, my my very favourite was Glastonbury, nineteen ninety nine, when we sort of signed off the the, the second stage. And it was just a sea of people there. It was incredible. That was pure terror. Yeah, I don't think scary. any of us, I don't think any one of us remember the actual gig. We were just no. absolutely terrified walking out on stage. I and remember the first song. The gig was over. But that, yeah. that, that, <laughs> <laughs> it was like going to sleep, wasn't it? <laughs> no, pure part. Like somebody shot a tranquilizer dart into your neck. You woke up with that. Going, What's going on? <laughs> Barry, what about you? Um, it was a Primavera gig we played a long time ago. We played at three o'clock in the morning. So I remember getting up at like one o'clock in the morning after I sleep, going over to the stage. And it was 
it was when John was still in the band and the five of us, I remember coming off the stage and it doesn't happen that often where the five of us really had a great show, but the five of us were just like ecstatic after it. Um, I don't, I mean, I couldn't tell you what songs we played or anything. I just remember walking down the stairs at the end and the five of us were really, really happy. Like it must be like eight or nine years ago, maybe longer. It's probably right Barcelona won the European Cup. Might have been the one before that, but I can't really remember. I love the fact that you can you can sort of track everything, gigs, <laughs> radio broadcasts, just through football matches. Aye. Uh, going on at the time. It's a good it's a good job there's been no gigs this year. <laughs> how many how many points are you behind Rangers guy? I, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> no, well, it's not then. Stuart, tell us about your favourite gig. Farlands, nineteen ninety nine. Like we we. Uh, Playing the, we, we didn't have a lot of ambition when we started. Well, we didn't have many ambitions. We wanted to get John Peel, to be played on John Peel mm -hmm. and to play the Barrowlands. And to be honest, at that point, I presumed we'd be like first on supporting, I don't know, Mercury Rev or Teenage Fan Club or some actual big band, you know, but we got our booking agent convinced us to play the Barrowlands. When our, when our second record came out and I think we were all really nervous about it because we thought it would be mortifying if we were playing in this um, legendary venue and it wasn't full of people and I just remember just coming out on stage and just seeing thousands of people or I don't know how many exactly but certainly way more people than the, than we were expecting and it was just one of the most amazing gigs it was actually quite it's quite rowdy. I think like back then, like our gigs were a wee bit, a wee bit rowdy and it had a kind of real. Kind it, was of, a, it, it, it was a Saturday night, I That's think. Right. So yeah. people were absolutely steaming. Yeah, it was great though. And I, I, I remember along not knowing which, which band were playing and just want to go to a gig that night. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> it's funny because somebody one of the questions asked here was, yeah, you can, you can sell at the Hydro now as often as you want, but you know, can we ever see you at the Barrowland again? Uh, if you, if you were offered that, would you take it? Oh, yeah. I love Definitely. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've just got this absolute fear in the back of my mind that uh, the sub will hamp to the Barrowlands will get like bulldozed for flats. So mm. like, any, any chance we get to play it, we'll definitely take it. Yeah. I've got a question here for me. Um, question for Ian. What is Rebus's favourite Mogwai album and why? Um, <laughs> For those of you who don't know me, my, my character of Rebus is a cop in Edinburgh of a certain age. He's older than me. He's older than anybody on this on this this evening. Um, and the joke, this one joke in one of my books about Mogwai, which is that Rebus's um, colleague Siobhan, who's much younger than him, much more switched on at the music scene, lends him a Mogwai album and she asks him what he thinks of it. And he obviously hasn't listened to it because he says, I like the lyrics. <laughs> and that's what Reba thinks of Mogwai. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's bought an album since 1975. Um, oh, wow. Somebody, somebody's saying they've seen you. Richard Newsom says he's seen you at Primavera several times, always brilliant and emotional. If it goes ahead this year, would you be up for a guest appearance at it? Aye. Yeah. Obviously. We play the opening of a supermarket at the moment. It's we were just so <laughs> desperate to play any concerts. <laughs> so you, yes, always come out, would... you always come out with the goods, don't you? That's great. 
Susan here. Uh, Susan says Stuart Stuart is a heavier version of Vinnie Riley. I think she means in terms of your playing technique, Stuart, not your physical mass. She's not calling me a, 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 a grapple. It, it would be it would be hard to be a thinner version of Vinnie Riley. I've seen yeah. it a matchstick. Yeah, it's a great um, guitar Stuart's player. a heavier yeah. version of Vinnie Riley. Do you boys listen to the Giroudi column? I have do. done. Yeah, they're a good yeah. band. I. Yeah. A great era of music. I love all the the early factory stuff's amazing. Yeah. Section twenty three, yeah. that's a good band. I think I think I, I don't know if I'm right in saying this is Vinnie, he's in a quite a bad way. I think he's uh I think he's got some serious illness and he would probably no, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, he's one of these other great artists who I saw play at the uh, Queen's Hall. He wasn't as loud as you guys though, but he was very, very good. <laughs> Am I um, going not Stuart? Are they not called section twenty five? Is it section twenty three? I think I would oh, yeah, call Section 25. <laughs> That's a total bad moment. 23 Skidoos, they're not 23 Skidoos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. a really bad football is a hoax. Stephen Daltrey says, as someone who also plays an instrumental band, did you ever find being I mean, did you ever think, oh, to, to, you know, to get chart success, we need to get a, we need to vocals to be front and centre, or was that never part of the plan? I think we ever really cared. I don't think we ever really thought too much about it. I mean, there's definitely like, I mean, we're, Radio 6 are really supportive, but generally it's quite hard for us to get on the radio. I suppose that's the, that's the only thing, but apart yeah. from that, it's been all right, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been pretty good. Well, guys, we're going to have to wrap up. Um, it's been a fantastic, uh, I don't know how long it's been, but I've enjoyed it. I'm All sure right, cheers, Ian. At least an hour. Thank you so much. At least an hour. Thanks, I've drank everyone. at least a bottle of wine. I think the wine's empty, so I'm going to have to go. And didn't get time to show you my Mogwai earplugs or the Mogwai Aww. shrine behind me. And also the <laughs> shrine, uh, nice. the grey shrine and a Mogwai shrine below it. Uh, um, all my Mogwai merch, including Dominic, Bootlegs, bootlegs with Dominic's face on the front. Uh, <laughs> um, I know, uh, shocking but true. <laughs> Not with Martin yet, but Martin will be coming. Martin will be coming. <laughs> We've got a fan club out there judging by tonight. Listen, guys, I want to thank you very much. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Later. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.